You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. All right, today we are continuing a series we began last week about things I learned in Sunday school. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to take them and turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament, part of sort of the latter part of it. It's called one of the minor prophets. They're called major and minor prophets not because of their importance, because the length of the books that are there. It's one of the shorter books in the Bible. While you're turning there, I want to do a very, very important thing this morning, and that is um, to show honor where honor is due. And I want to honor all of our veterans in the room this morning. And if you are a veteran, would you please stand? If you're a veteran of any of the armed forces branches, would you please stand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service, for your sacrifice. We honor you today, and I hope you feel honored and blessed this weekend um, as well. Uh, Today we're looking at the book of Jonah, and uh, it's a story called Jonah and the Whale or Jonah and the Big Fish. Um, And it's one of those stories where if you've been raised in church, you probably have heard this. But if you've been raised in church, you've heard this. You've probably heard it many, many years ago, and you haven't heard it in a long time. Or if you have not been raised in church and you've never heard this before, (laughs) get ready. This is a wild one. So it's just really great. I believe that God's going to give us something today as all of us begin to just dive back either for the first time or for the first time in a long time, dive back in to this great biblical account of what God is doing in Jonah's life and in the lives of people that he sends Jonah to. So in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray your grace would be with us, and I pray, O Lord, that you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth, and I want our ears to hear them, and our hearts to receive them. And God, I especially pray this morning that there are places in our heart that maybe have become hardened to certain things in your word. Till that up today through the power of the Holy Spirit and sink truth deep down into us so that you may make the changes in us that need to be made, so we may become more and more like the people you've created us to be in the likeness of Christ. And as you do that, we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So uh, a few years ago, I was at a conference in San Antonio. And while I was in San Antonio, San Antonio my, my family was with me, um, and my, uh, brother, uh, my brother-in-law and my sister were with me as well. And so we were all at this conference, and there was a day we had where we could just kind of go and have a free day. So we decided to go to one of the theme parks. And so we went to a place called SeaWorld. It was in San Antonio. Uh, it's August. It's hot. And uh, so we go to SeaWorld, and you have to get tickets for a certain show. Back then, they did shows with, uh, they would train whales, and they would make whales do tricks. I don't know if they do that anymore. Um, but anyway, they did back then. And so we got shows for like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's miserably hot. And so as we go there, um, I, um, uh, I got the tickets. I said, I'll get the tickets, 3 o'clock. And I was supposed to keep us on time. I did not keep us on time. So we arrived right at 3 o'clock. It's sort of one of those bowls, amphitheater, it's sort of a bowl. You walk in, everything goes down. 
So we look out everywhere and we're going, we can't find any seats. I mean, we can't find any seats whatsoever. And we're just struggling. So I said, hang tight. I'll, I'll run to the other side real quick and I'll look and see if I can't get from a better vantage point, can I find some seats for us? And so I'm looking, it's packed. And I look and I go, wait a minute, there's some seats. Those are great seats. They're like 50-yard line seats, you know? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I have messed this whole thing up. Cause us to be late, but I'm coming out like a champ at this point. So I run around, and I say, I got some seats. They're right down here. Follow me. So we get down. I sit down. We sit down. I'm looking around us going, I can't believe we got these great seats. And so I'm just excited about it, and they start, the, the announcer starts and everything, and they're telling us what they're going to do for the day. And as I'm thinking that, finally the rational part of my brain says, why did no one else think to get these seats? And I look down, and I realize it's all concrete. It looks like concrete, like just bleachers, except our section. This section, like the four rows or so, they're painted light blue. Like. Why is nobody sitting in these light blue seats? I mean, I don't understand this. And about the moment they started the tricks, and it was like, well, watch this whale do this thing. The thought hit me, oh, this is the splash zone. No, no, this is the splash zone. And so and if my wife and my sister do not like to be wet. So as the whale went up, I just went, this is going to be a disaster goes up in the air, splashes down. We are drenched. I mean drenched. And it was just the beginning of the entire show. We walk away drenched. It's San Antonio. It's August. It is miserable. And so we leave out of that place just soaked, muggy. The kids thought it was fantastic. Everybody else had a miserable time for the rest of it. And I just kept thinking as I was going along going, how did we get so fortunate? How do we get so lucky? I got to thinking about that stupidity on my part and how foolish it was for Jonah as God's word comes to him. He's a prophet of the Lord. God's word comes to him. It's not the first time. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I don't want to do that. I don't like those people. I don't like them at all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Joppa and see, could there possibly be a boat right now that I could get on that could get me away from here? The scripture says, he thought, I will get on a boat that goes to Tarshish, and I will run from God, and I will be okay. Now, our logical brains think nobody would be that ignorant, right? And yet he was. Because in his mind, he thought, how fortunate can I be? Because the thing God's called me to do, I don't want to do so much, I will look for a way out. The thing about Jonah is this. The reason why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because the Assyrian Empire has been taking over and expanding. And historians of the Middle East tell us that the Assyrian Empire were brutal. I will not, I will not tell you all the gory details. You want to look them up, you look them up yourselves. But if they did today what Assyrians did back then, they would be charged with crimes against humanity, war crimes and the world would rise up and invade them and obliterate them for what the Assyrians were doing. On the surface level, Jonah doesn't want to preach to these people because if anyone ever deserved to have God's wrath poured out on them, it was the Assyrians. 
But in doing so, Jonah reveals something about himself and about us, that if we're not careful, it's a trap we'll all fall into. He allowed his opinion and his hatred of other people, and maybe some of it was well-deserved. Maybe some of the angst that he had, maybe some of the anger that he had, maybe it was well-deserved because the Assyrians were definitely brutal people. But the truth it reveals is God's word comes to him and God's word comes to us. And how we handle God's word matters. Here's the truth that you need to know and that I need to take with me today. God's word and his calling primarily reveal places in me and in you that need to surrender to God. It's personal. It's personal. Primarily, his word reveals places in me, places in you that need to be surrendered to God. One of our greatest temptations and one of our greatest mistakes is to read God's word, especially those places of correction and uh, rebuke, and think about somebody else that it applies to. I mean, we love, we love to read God's word and see all the promises, don't we? I mean, bookmark those, everything. But the rebuke. The exhortation, the, 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 the correction, those things. You don't see those things posted on people's billboards or their cars and bumper stickers. And yet they're meant. But the problem is, many times we read those things and we think about who else needs that in our lives. We read a rebuke or a correction and we think, oh, my boss needs to hear that. We read something where God says, I need you to straighten up. I need you to get things right. And we think in our minds, oh, my parents need that, or my children need that, or my friend needs that, or my spouse needs that, right? You read those things and you think, that's who needs this word from the Lord, this word of correction. I need all of the encouragement and the promises of God, but the rebuke and the correction, all those things, they're meant for somebody else. And let me go ahead and tell you who that is. You're quiet, but it's true. The Bible is God's revelation of who he is and his character and his plan for us, not just for the world, but for us too. The mistake we make is thinking that God is constantly revealing to us what other people ought to do. Come on, somebody. Part of maturing as a Christian is that we read God's word first and foremost as God's revelation and agent of change for me and for you personally. There's an old song that says, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. One of the best things that you can do and I can do, stop reading the Bible with other people in mind when it comes to correction. And when you read something with correction or rebuke in the Bible, start asking God, Lord, do you need to speak to me about this? Allow God to speak to other people the way he needs to and allow God to speak to you the way you need to. Because if we're not careful, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and we tell the Holy Spirit how to work in somebody else's lives. And that is not our job. It is idolatry to tell God what he ought to do. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Jonah has to deal with this. There's a word from the Lord that Jonah doesn't want to deal with. And the, the, and the remarkable thing is, as we see, is that there is this comparison 
this side-by-side comparison, this juxtaposition that God is going to do in Jonah the exact same things he does to the Assyrians, but Jonah can't see it. It breaks down into two sections. The first section is this, Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. Jonah gets on the boat. We read already in the first four verses. And God then sends a storm to the, the, the ship. And Jonah then is dealing with this. All of the sailors are dealing with this. And they finally say, what's causing this? And in a way that they used to do back then, they called upon God and they said, Lord, reveal to us what the problem is. And they cast lots and the lots fell to Jonah. And they say, who are you and what have you done? And this is where we pick it up in verse 9. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. So they say, we've got to do something. And Jonah says, just throw me overboard. Now they're like, I don't think we can do that. Now scholars debate over why Jonah said this. Some think that he's being magnanimous, altruistic, that he's caring about them and just saying, you throw me over, I'll take care of you. You'll be okay. Other scholars say, based on other things, where over and over and over and over again, I believe four or five times in the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters, it's only like three pages, over and over again, he's so mad at God with what God is asking him to do, he keeps telling God, why don't you just kill me now? And they think he's asking them to be the agents of his destruction. Whatever the reasoning was, they then, the storm gets worse, the storm gets worse, and they go, okay, let's toss him. They throw him overboard. He starts to drown. The Bible says that there is a great fish. Many people think a whale. That's a great fish that comes along, and it swallows him. And he is in the belly of this great fish. Whether he was alive the whole time, whether he died and God resurrected him, we do not know. We do know that Jesus referred to this when he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the, in the heart of the earth when he was uh, crucified, buried, and raised to life before he raises to life again. We don't know exactly what happened. We do know that Jonah is alive to tell this story when it's over with. And we do know that as he is suffering in the belly of this great fish, he prays a prayer to God. And that prayer is found in chapter 2. Verse 1 says this, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. And as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Verse 10, and then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. That's a very sanitized version of what that means. That fish regurgitated 
him onto the beach. Okay? So I want you to notice what happens. Jonah turns his back on God. Literally says, I will turn away. I will go the opposite direction. I will go to Tarsus. He turns his back on God. Then he cries out to God and receives God's grace. You see those three steps, Jonah does? Turns his back on God, cries out to God, and receives God's grace. It is pretty remarkable that Jonah hears the voice of God. He argues with him and then turns from him anyway. It's one thing to read God's word and misinterpret it. This is a guy who's heard God's voice over and over again, and he literally, literally, the same voice that has told him to prophesy in different places tells him to go to Nineveh, and he refuses to go. This isn't a sinner who doesn't know anything about God. This is a follower of God who knows God's voice and decides he doesn't like what God's telling him to do, so he chooses to walk away from God's specific instructions. And then Jonah experiences God's grace in a way that no one has ever experienced. No one. Think about that. I mean, you've experienced God's grace, many of you. You've been at your lowest point and God found you. I have, but I've never been in the belly of a fish. This is unique. He experiences it in a way that no one else has. And you would think that that would open Jonah's heart to understand God's gracious heart, but somehow Jonah couldn't imagine God doing that for other people. The same thing he had done for Jonah. So the great fish spits him onto the beach. That's the first section, Jonah and the whale. The second section is one you may not know about the story, Jonah and the worm, okay? As he spits him onto the beach, the word of the Lord comes to him and basically says, I need you to go do what I told you to do already. We find that in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So Jonah began by going a day's journey or a third of the way into the city, proclaiming, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the kings and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn with his fear, from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So notice the progression of the people of Nineveh. They had turned their backs on God. They cry out to God, and God, they receive God's grace. Does that sound familiar? It is the exact thing that Jonah experienced. They experienced the exact thing. They cry, they realize they turned from God, they cry out to God, and they receive God's grace. There is nothing different about what Jonah has received and what they have received, but Jonah cannot see it. You know why? Because Jonah sees his sins as light and sees their sins as great. And if we're not careful, 
we will fall into the same trap. We will excuse our own behavior, our own sin, and just look out and see all the things that other people have done and think they're the great sins. And we forget how great a salvation God has done in us. Every time you lighten the load of your sin or lessen the effects of it, you are lessening the value of the cross in your life. You shouldn't live in shame. You shouldn't live in all those things from your past. But listen to me, don't ever lighten the magnitude of how you used to be because God's grace was sufficient for you. When you lighten that, you make light of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. But when you remember those things, you remember how great a salvation you have and how great a salvation is offered to other people. But Jonah is angry with the Lord. He's mad at him right now. As a matter of fact, look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, this change of plans, God relenting and doing the same things for the Ninevites he did for Jonah. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Think about that. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. You know he's saying? I knew you were going to do this. You sent me here to proclaim destruction. I knew you were going to show them grace. I knew that's why I told you I didn't want to come here to start with. And then he tells the Lord, he says, that's why. He says, I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. That's a great... This is who you are. I know this is who you are. This is why I didn't want to come, because I was afraid that you'd show mercy to these people. This is who you are. And then he goes on and says, so just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And so Jonah is angry with God. Why? Two reasons. Pride. Verse 2, 3 tells us, he says, just kill me, Lord. I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted didn't happen. You sent me in here, and I came in here boldly saying, 40 days from now, this place is a goner. You people are done for. And now look at me. I look like a fool. But it's not just pride, it's hatred. He says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. I know you're merciful. I know you're compassionate. You're slow to get angry. You're filled with unfailing love. I know you were eager to turn back from destroying people. That word in verse 4, when he predicts and he says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be overthrown. It's not an accident that God gives him that word to use because that word has a dual meaning. Now, Jonah only thinks about one of the meanings. That word literally means overthrown, literally means to be upended or turned upside down. But another use of that word is not turned upside down, but turned around instead. 
So Jonah goes in and says, 40 more days, God is going to turn this world upside down. But we are reminded that it's not just about righteousness and justice in this moment. This is not just about wrath in this moment. It's also about grace. Because when Jonah wanted to see destruction, the same word means turn around, which means if you respond in the right way, God's wrath may be coming towards you, but if you respond in the right way, your life does not have to be turned upside down. It can be completely turned around. If you will go in humility and say the way I've used to live is wrong, but the way you are calling me to live, that's where I'm going to do. And I surrender everything and I bow down to you in lordship. Your life can be changed. Jonah can't see it. Jonah doesn't want to see it because what he wants is to see them destroyed. What God wants is for people to respond. Even though wrath may be coming, he wants them to respond in obedience and repentance so that you don't have to have your life turned upside down. It can be turned around because he says in his word, he says, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. God's justice and righteousness demands wrath at some point. But he is eager to turn back from that if we will call on the name of the Lord. What Jonah refused to see was that what God did for him was the same thing he did for the Ninevites. Jonah turned his back on God. He repented. God saved him. The Ninevites turned their back on God. They repented, and God saved them. And it is dangerous for us to view our sins as light other people's sins is heavy. And to think that we deserve grace and they don't. That's not how grace works. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you know that when Jonah says, I know that you, I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Do you know he is directly, or paraphrasing, directly from Exodus chapter 34 when God appears to Moses and Moses asks him to reveal himself to him, and God does. And this is what God says about himself in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. God says, God passed in front of Moses so Moses could see a revelation of who he was. And this is what God said about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. He says, I know this about but I just didn't want it applied to them. Because of the hurt they've caused me or the anguish they've caused my people or the destruction they've done to the world. I know that's who you are. I just don't want you to be that way to them, Lord. And so God teaches Jonah a lesson. Jonah leaves the city, goes up on a hill, sits on the hill and looks at the city, hoping for its destruction, but knowing that God was going to relent. He's angry. The Bible said that God, it's blistering sun. The Bible said God caused a shade tree, a plant, to grow up quickly, miraculously quickly, and shade him so that he was comforted. And it says Jonah was thankful for the shady plant. He goes to bed that night. God causes a worm to come in and eat the plant and destroy the plant so that then overnight, there is no shade anymore. It's the next day, Jonah is angry. 
He's bitter. And now he's in the blistering heat because it's died. And he tells God, why don't you just kill me right now? And God says, do you have any right to be angry? He says, yes, I have a right to be angry. Just kill me. And God tells him, you are remorseful over this plant. And yet there are 120,000 people in that city that I have chosen because of their repentance and my grace, the same grace that I showed you, to deliver them. You care more about a plant and your own comfort than you do about the eternity of other people. And if you, many of you will probably say, so, so what happened? Did he like go and hug the king? Did he write a song, a psalm that praises the Lord for his goodness and his grace? That's how the story ends. But how, how's the story end? God's saying, don't you care about the 120,000 people? You care more about that shade tree or that plant. You say, what a sad story. It is if it ends that way. See, there are things we like about God. The things we like are that God is full of grace and justice. The things that we dislike is that we don't control God's grace and justice. We have the story of Jonah because Jonah tells the story and it's written. He looks back on it and he says, wow, that's who I was. It's a warning to all of us. If you're not careful, You'll allow your hatred of other people or the wrongs that have been done to you to put you in a place where you literally read God's word and think all the rebuke belongs to somebody else and you read God's word and forget that God wants to change you in the process or that you don't want God to give the same grace to other people that you've received yourself. And Jonah's telling us that's a dangerous place to be. You know what else we know? Pastor Brett and I were talking this morning about Jonah. And he reminded me of something. It's that Jonah is buried in Nineveh. He didn't prophesy in hatred, leave and go back. He stayed there among the people that he hated, where grace was poured out. It's a lesson he learned, and a lesson he says, I want you to learn it. Learn it not the hard way like I did. Learn it because it's truth. There will be people who hurt you. There will be people who wrong you. There will be people who disappoint you. But remember, the same grace that was poured out on you, God is eager to pour that grace out on other people. God is willing. He wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Will there be justice and will there be wrath one day? Yes, there will be. The Bible tells us that clearly. The people who continually fall away from God and they, they run away from God and they turn their backs on God, there's a day they'll answer for that. But until that day, we are to pray for the salvation of as many people as possible. And if you're here and you've turned your back on God, can I just tell you something? All it takes is a moment to cry out to God and you can receive that same grace. If you're here, 
and because of life's situations or circumstances, you read God's word and all you can do is think about all the other people that need correcting and changing. There's something going on in your heart that needs to be healed. And you need to turn that over to the Lord, that bitterness and that anger, and allow God's word to speak, uproot that in the name of Jesus so that you may be healed. Because regardless, you can walk out of here changed today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? No one looking around, please, out of respect for the person next to you and out of respect for the Holy Spirit who works in this place. If you know when you came in this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord. and You want to make a decision to follow him. I just want you to pray something like this. God, I thank you for the grace that was shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That he came to this earth and he lived a life that we were incapable of living and paid a price we were incapable of paying. I thank you today that my sins have been paid for because of his sacrifice. I ask you to forgive me. I cry out to you today. Forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to give me the grace that I don't deserve, but that you freely pour out. Today, I surrender to you. I surrender into your lordship and your leadership. Lead me, guide me through your word and through your spirit, and I will never be the same. I'm going to ask everyone in the room, just pray this prayer profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, your head's still bowed, eyes still closed. No one looking around except the ministry team but me. If that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, you know when you came in here this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You made a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. Would you just raise your hand really high so I can pray for you this week? Amen. Keep them up just a moment, please. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. 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 You can put them down. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now for the hearts that have been changed, for the lives that have been restored, for hope that has been poured out into people's lives. Thank you for the surrender that's taking place. Thank you that not only has their past been forgiven, but their present has been guaranteed that you are with them every moment of every day and that you have a future and a destiny for them on this earth and also an eternal destiny for them in heaven. I thank you today that lives have been changed. For those in this room right now, they've been hurt, wounded, angry, something has upset them and it has built over time and what they tend to do is read your word and not let your word change them but always look that it needs to change other people. God, uproot that bitterness that is in their heart right now, that anger, that hatred in the name of Jesus and allow them to give it to you and trust you with it so that grace may be poured out upon them. They don't walk out with bitter spirits, but with hopeful hearts that you are ultimately in control. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory for all these things. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Hey, can you celebrate with me today? Eight people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Come on. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Listen, if you made that decision over the last few weeks or today, we'd love to help you get you started in your walk with Christ. Uh, some of our members of our grow team will be down front here. Love to talk with you and just get you some information about that. If you'd like some more information about getting plugged in here at Mount Perrin North, we'd love to help you do that as well. There's a card in front of you um, uh, and a seat back in front of you. Just grab one of those cards, uh, connect card, and take it to Connection Point out in the atrium. We'd love to talk with you and help you discover your gifts and your passions um, and a place where God loves for you to serve as well as well as finding maybe a place of accountability in a life group. So I hope you'll take part of that as well. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. And I want to let you know next week will be the last week of this series. Um, we're going to be looking at um, David and Goliath, uh, looking at that one. And I have a special privilege next week to do something I've never done before. Um, our high school and young adult pastor is my son, Bradley, and he's going to be speaking with me next Sunday. And I can't wait to do that for the first time. So I hope you'll be a part of that next week. So as you go, allow me the privilege to bless you according to Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.